Good morning, I'm Hot Rod Bob, and you've got gas, the great American auto scene, morning edition. Hey, muscle cars have been a part of my life ever since I got into cars, and if you're as old as I am, or you're just a real car enthusiast, you remember the muscle car era, but you also remember its dying days, and in those dying days, there were a number of muscle cars in image some actually were pretty darn good, but that was the age of rising insurance costs, rising fuel economy standards, rising emission standards, even crash safety standards that started to remove the performance from cars as the manufacturers learned how to meet these standards and evade the high insurance costs that were affecting you and your buying choice. I mean, Think about it for a second. Do you remember 1976 when Chevrolet introduced a red, white, and blue Nova? Man, that thing looked so sporty. It only had a six-cylinder. I mean, muscle cars were going and going quick. But let's take a look at some of them from the early 1970s. And this is the Muscle Car Illustrated list of the worst eight or the most underrated eight muscle cars of the era. And some of them are... Just totally forgettable. The first one on the list, the 1972 Dodge Charger Rally. Dodge Charger Rally. Why'd they call it a rally? Because it didn't have the connotation of Super B. It didn't have the connotation of Daytona. It didn't have the connotation of something fast, at least to the insurance companies. And in 1972, the rally was introduced, and it <clears throat> consolidated some of the looks and appearance of the Charger RT, the Super B, and the Charger 500. Looks. No performance, but it had the looks. Now, Dodge produced 4,300 Charger rallies in 1972. 389 of them were hardtops, 460 were coupes. Now, I'm looking at a picture of one right now, and I guess the hardtop just didn't have a little bit of a pillar behind the door, but I haven't seen it yet. Now, these are the high-performance options this muscle car had. Blacked-out grille. Hmm, good for a tenth or two, right? Simulated door louvers. Hooded circular gauges. Well, gauges are cool, yeah. Simulated wood grain instrument panel. Everyone needs plastic wood. Wide-tread white-lettered tires. That was a good one, though. Front and rear sway bars. Now, this was definitely necessary because now we're getting into the age of people actually wanting to turn left and right in their cars. Now, Gordon, were the days of the 383 performance, the Magnum 440, six-packs, the 426 Hemis. In 1972, only four engine options remained for this rally. The high-performance 318, two-barrel. The 340, that wasn't too bad an engine. The 400, that was their smog big block, and you could still get a 440, but again, remember, the 446 pack was not available, and this was the beginning of the SAE net horsepower ratings, so they started to drop down. Hi, Sam Browns, Marlon Mitchell, and Marilyn, how you doing this morning? Tony German, how are you? All right, so there is one documented 446 pack that came out, but Chrysler couldn't get that combination to meet emissions. So it was dropped. Now, it wasn't available. You couldn't get it. 
As far as horsepower rating, it was abysmal. But the car looked good. It looked like a muscle car. It had the blacked out hood, the blacked out grill. It had the wide oval tires. It had rally wheels with trim rings. It had all the appearance of a muscle car and no performance to go with it. All right, the 440 had some performance, but we were starting to lose that performance. Compression ratios started going down, and away they went. Of these cars, I haven't seen any of them left. They weren't really all that popular. Now, the GTO set the stage in 1964 for performance midsize cars, but by 1973, the Pontiac GTO was a barge. It was big. It was on the same platform as the Monte Carlo or the Chevelle, but the body had a lot of overhang at the rear. It was a huge, massive car for the time. In 73, the GTO tried to remain a status symbol in muscle cars, but sadly, it wasn't there. The GTO was built in 73. was a far cry from the GTOs of past. Only 4,800 1973 GTOs were built. That is way low, considering the 64 had over 32,000 built. Now, thanks again to the, the emissions, the unleaded gas, the rising insurance premiums, the power came out of the GTO. They received an all-new body style in 73. It did get the newly introduced or it didn't get, I take that back, the newly introduced 455 Super Duty that you could get in the Firebird. It did get a 455, but 230 horsepower? Hmm. That's not a muscle car, folks. 230 horsepower backed by a three-speed manual. That was the base trans. You could get the four-speed, and you could get a three-speed automatic. Nee. The optional 455 with 250 horsepower was only available, though, with the automatic. So you had to get the 350, or you had to get the 400 to get the 4-speed. So you were down on horsepower right off the bat, even worse than the 455. Now, which was worse, the 73 or the 74? 73 had lower production numbers versus the 74, but the 74 did have more cubic inches. Yeah. Now, this car is underrated and undeservedly. This was the Oldsmobile Rally 350. Now, just think of a 442 with some of the content taken out. It had the bright yellow paint. It had the proper competition or good-looking stripes. It had the rally wheels, no trim rings, so you get down to a base model for an Oldsmobile. The 350 was an eye-catcher. And it was a cool-looking car. But the 350 in any color you wanted, as long as the Sebring yellow was the color you chose. It only came in one color. Even the bumpers and the wheels were painted this yellow. But by 1970, the first and final year of the Rally 350 was sluggish. Sales were bad. It just didn't catch on. Again, people were moving away from muscle cars, and it showed because it only had 3,500 of these built. Hmm. Oh, well. It had a 350 cube engine with 310 horsepower. That's pretty good for 1970. 390 foot-pounds of torque. That is excellent for a 350. That's one of the things the Oldsmobile motors were always good for was torque. Sebring so yellow paint. It had a fiberglass hood for lighter weight. 
got black wall tires, the high-performance blacked-out grille, color-keyed front and rear bumpers instead of chroming them, they painted them, rally suspension. All right, so here you got front and rear sway bars, a little bit heavier springs and shock absorbers. It had the 14 by 7 inch rally wheels. They call them super stock too. Came with factory dual exhaust and a rear spoiler. The Rally 350, interesting concept. Lower cubic inches, but hey, it was cool. And it really was a good car. And it really was underrated or unnoticed for some reason. Everyone just thought it was a trim option, but again, you got to think about something. Oldsmobile didn't have the draw that Chevrolet and Ford did or Pontiac. The buyers of Oldsmobiles were older. Young guys didn't buy Oldsmobiles. Yeah, 442s a bit, but you look at the numbers of the 442s, they're way behind their counterpart GTO and Chevelle. And the 350 suffered from the same problem, the buying age of an Oldsmobile. At that time, that car was geared to the 20s, 30-year-olds, but it was the 40 and 50-year-olds that were buying the Oldsmobiles, and they weren't looking for flash. So that went away. Now, here's a car that I've always liked. I like it in the fastback version. The 69 Ford Torino Cobra 428. This is a highly unrated car, and if you were a Ford guy, you knew what to do and why to go for it. The 69 Ford Cobra was technically a one-year wonder, and it was named, renamed in 1970 as the Torino Cobra. Have you ever seen one? I did. I like them. They're few and far between. It was built on the Fairlane Torino platform, and the 1969 Ford Cobra, Torino Cobra offered was two body styles, the formal notchback roof and the fastback design. I've always been partial to the fastback design, and I Love to have one. It's it's one of those cars on my bucket list, along with the Marlin and the 66 uh, Charger. It's estimated that 14,000 of these were produced. But you haven't seen one, have you? They didn't get noticed. The fastback body style was definitely a favorite of the NASCAR guys, and even Richard Petty drove one of these in NASCAR when he left Chrysler because of the 426 Hemi issues. Not that the engine was bad. NASCAR banned it. Petty had some issues with Mopar at the time and for a year drove a Torino. I've got a model of it in my closet. The 69 Torino came standard with a Q-code 428 Cobra jet engine and a four-speed. An automatic was ordered, could be ordered, but you could also get the R-code Cobra jet option. And it came with a 390 or 430 axle. This was made to go drag racing and accelerating. Now, the option package included the Cobra jet engine, the Cobra badging, the high-performance blacked-out grille, <laughs> 14 by 6 steel wheels. You got the corporate poverty caps and F7014 bias ply wide oval tires. Now, next up, this car was definitely underrated. And it was a killer car at the drags, but there were so few of them, people don't remember them. And that was the SC360 AMC Hornet. Now, think of the Hornet as a long gremlin. Basically what it was. They hadn't chopped the back half off and made it short like the gremlin. But this car with a 360, it had some performance and it went unnoticed because it was a rambler.
That's right. Rambler. Nobody bought Ramblers unless you were ancient. That was an old lady's car. That was a base model salesman car. That was not a performance car, even though they tried. But the 1971 AMC Hornet SC, and I don't know what SC stands for. Maybe Sport Coupe. Who knows? Came with a 360 cubic inch V8 engine that put out an amazing 390 foot-pounds of torque. Ran the quarter right out of the box with stock crappy tires, 13 sevens, 101 miles an hour. Man, if you put traction bars and decent tires on it, this thing would go. I'll tell you what. Now, built on a budget, you could buy this car for $2,600. That was a steal. Great performance. Good price. The car weighed 3,300 pounds in stock trim. It's a lightweight, guys. It was ignored. There were very few of these babies made. Now, the standard engine was a two-barrel version with 245 horsepower. The four-barrel version conservatively rated at 285 horsepower, but 390 foot-pounds of torque. 784 were produced with a two-barrel option, or actually with the four-barrel option, 206 with the two-barrel. Hmm. Actually, 784 with the total builds, four-barrel and two-barrel. Hmm. Very few. Find one of these babies. It could be a dynamite collector car for a Rambler fanatic. 360 decals came on the side, had a fiberglass hood with hood scoops. Fiberglass hood from AMC. Wow. Lightweight. Stripe package, SC360 decals. Eh, that's about it. All right, now in 1971, Dodge had the Demon, Plymouth had the Duster. The Demon 340, another underrated car. It was a 14-second car, 14 eighths, right out of the box. It weighed 3,100 pounds, only ran 95 miles an hour. There were 10,000 Dodge Demons produced in 1971, and Plymouth produced 12,000 Dusters. Hmm, where's Plymouth now? Gone. The 71 Dodge Challenger and Cooter are arguably more popular today, but get that little demon. Now, Demon had a bad connotation back in those days. Although Chrysler reintroduced the Dodge Demon as a Challenger a few years ago with the big blown Henny, when they introduced the Dodge Demon back in 1971, they got tons of hate mail. And that name only stuck for a couple of years before Chrysler pulled the Demon name because people were saying, oh, it's satanic, you can't have that. So they dropped it. 1971, Mercury had to get into the performance market as well, and they did it with a Cyclone Spoiler. Now, this was a big car, and again, it was a Mercury. Now, I like Mercuries, don't get me wrong, but they are in the same situation, or were, Mercury is gone nowadays, as Oldsmobile. Their market was older people. You had to get an enthusiast who had a family that decided he wanted a Mercury over a Ford. And they were few and far between. So the Cyclone Spoiler wasn't something you saw that often. As a matter of fact, 
There were only 353 of these made. Rare? Mercury? Valuable? Yeah, could be. They were built on the luxury-oriented Mercury Montego, and that's part of the problem. The Cyclone spoiler was a heavyweight at the time at 3,700 pounds. It could be ordered with a 429 Cobra Jet V8, but who did? And it came standard with a 351. In terms of horsepower, the Cobra Jet was 370, while the 351 was 285. Both were backed by three-speed automatics or four-speeds. Boring. Pontiac decided to compete with Oldsmobile. Why? We don't know. But they came out with the T-37. Now, this was a dressed-up Pontiac Tempest. So you got your base model Tempest with some performance. The T-37 wasn't known as the big brother of the GTO. It was actually the little brother. But it's a good chance that you probably haven't heard of them because, well, they just, no one knew what T-37 meant. It wasn't marketed very well. It started in 1970, ending in 71, only a two-year build. It was a low-end Tempest, the economy-based, to try and get the insurance money down. Again, GTO, <gasps> performance, high insurance rates. T-37, well, they didn't know what it was. But it came with a 350 cubic inch engine. Now, it could be upgraded to the 455 HO. I don't know how many were done, and no one's got records of that. But that was it. The GTO started to go, and the T-37, trying to meet the insurance company mandates of reducing performance, came about. It was the twin to the Oldsmobile Rally, 350 cubic inches, although it did have a 420, 455 option, a base model car, poverty cap, hubcaps. Did it attract attention? Not from the performance people. They just didn't go for it. They went for the GTOs. At the time, GTO was still strong. T37, or GT37, I saw them as, G, as T37s. Well, it was just okay. Now, they tried the mid-year GT37. It was a T37. The GT included a sportier hood. It had hood pins, side stripes, and rally wheels without trim rings, just like the Oldsmobile. So those are your underrated top eight muscle cars of the time. Are they bargains that you could find now? you got to find one. These are the cars that got chopped up because they didn't have much value to start with. Today, the Mopar is probably the most desirable as far as price-wise because people wanted that duster and that demon. They're very popular at the drags. Their performance was good. Would you go for a Rambler SC? They're gone. They're probably junked by now. They weren't very rust-proofed. They weren't very popular to start with. And they're still not popular today. Just because they're rare doesn't mean they're popular. And the Rambler SC360 is a prime example of that. Would I like one? Yeah, I would. I think they were cool. Underrated. And very surprising to the competition. I'm Hot Rod Bob. You've got gas. The Morning Edition. Brought to you by Service Tech. Irwindale. 
Speedway, Drag Strip, and Valley Head Service. You take care. Good, Godwin, how are you doing? Greetings from West Africa. You're still, inter I'm still international. Well, that's great. And I, I was hoping to see you this weekend, but I understand you're out of the country. I miss you, guy. You're a good buddy. I'm Hot Rod Bob. You've got gas. The morning edition. Check us out on YouTube. Two Tired Guys Productions. You can see all our latest YouTube videos from gas and to and uh, talking about cars. We just interviewed Joe Coddington. Her video will be coming up shortly. The video for the guys from Ken Diggett are is up and ready to go. You got Dave and you got Kev Dog. It's on there. Go to our YouTube page, Two Tired Guys Production. Randy Cardoon and Bob Beck are your two tired guys. Have a great day. Barry Seifert, glad to see you here. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care.